evening, everyone. Tonight, I am joined with the head coach of Murray State University's rifle team, Alan Lawler. Alan and I have a few things in common that we will get into. We have something not in common at all, but we will also get into that, and Coach Lawler doesn't know what I'm about to bring up. But without further ado, Alan, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Good to, see, good, to, good to get back together with you. It's been a long time. It has been a while, actually. So Coach Lawler and I actually are both certified athletic trainers. That's what I do um, in the DFW area of Texas. So that's what we have in common. What we have not in common is that I graduated from the University of Mississippi, or Ole Miss, and Coach Lawler actually got his undergraduate degree from our rival, Mississippi State. So we have a little bit of rivalry going on. We, I think we always have, but we make it work, right? Always, always. <laughs> All right, Coach Lawler, tell us a little bit about your journey through rifle and how you got to Murray State to become the head coach there? I was, uh, I graduated from Mississippi State and uh, and ended up finishing my grad work in athletic training at Murray State, working for Tom Simmons in the training room there. Uh, that's where I met my wife at. Uh, she's from Paducah. Um, and uh, Liz and I got married when we graduated. And then, uh, I'll try to keep this short. Uh, the, um, my first job was at the University of Richmond as assistant athletic trainer. Uh, from there, I actually went to Ole Miss and was assistant athletic trainer there for six years. Yeah. Uh, finished just about the time they were starting a rifle team. They didn't have a rifle team when I was there. Okay. I think started it uh, a year or two after I left. Okay, okay. I, I left in 92, and I think they probably started in 93 or 94. Okay. Um, and then, uh, 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 but, uh, I went from Ole Miss back to, back to become the head trainer at, uh, to become the head trainer at Murray State. And one of the first people that I met there when I came back to Murray State was Elvis Green, the rifle coach, because my first spring at Murray, we were hosting the NCAA championships and. They needed a trainer to be assigned to it in case they needed anything, and that ended up being me. And after watching all of that, that for a year and uh, or for that championship, and getting to know everybody, one of the things I noticed was that our coach stayed so busy trying to help run the tournament because it was a lot different back then. Um, and I, you know, I asked him. I said, "Well, can I not help you do that too?" Because you're not getting a chance to coach the kids. Right. So that's when he started teaching me how to run matches. I would, you know, I'd run the scoring room for Withrow. Um, and basically I, I turned into his match director. Um, and then ended up being match director for the NCAAs, I think, uh, five or six times um, uh, over the years. And, uh, then he retired in 99, and I had started to help him with some stuff. He had actually, I actually helped, uh, I guess, maybe with the mental side of it a little bit uh, for him. Uh, and uh, uh, when he retired in 99, we had a series of part-time coaches. Uh, and then when, when Morgan Hicks left, I asked the I asked our athletic director Alan Ward to uh, to allow me to be part of the search committee for the head coach. Right. Because I told him I said I know all these coaches and I think I can help. Yeah, absolutely. So and uh, that turned into let's not get in a hurry. Let's make sure we get the right person. And uh, and so uh, about halfway. Uh, about halfway through the fall, they asked me if I would just, you know, sort of keep an eye on the, on the team and, and, and help them get through the year. And sometime over in the spring, uh, they called me in and asked me what I thought about the idea of coaching the rifle team. And uh, it didn't really take me very long to say yes. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. I, I cared about them very much and, and, and wanted, uh, uh, wanted the best for, that, for them. And so uh, uh, I started out, 
you can believe it or not, you'll, you'll understand how tough this was. I was teaching athletic training in our program, working in the training room, and trying to take care of the team at the same time. Yeah, that sounds like a lot, and I don't even have to do half of that right now is in my job, so I can't imagine doing all of that. Did that for about two or three years and, 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 and started transitioning more and more into just taking care of the team, because obviously they somebody full-time. Right. Um, and, um, oh, I think it was, it's been four or five years now that, um, uh, uh, that I've been full-time rifle coach and nothing else. Okay. And, and I really don't understand how I, how I was ever able to make it work before, because <laughs> it's, it's definitely a full-time job that, that I love to death. And, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the team is great. I love working with the young people. Um, I, I have a little bit of a coaching background, uh, in baseball. Uh, I've worked with, I've coached a lot of youth baseball and that was, that was sort of why, what I, what I thought I would end up doing originally was coaching baseball. And, uh, over the years I have figured out that coaching shooters is very much like coaching. Right. Um, they, uh, they have to have a very short memory from <laughs> one, one shot to the next. They're yeah. trying to do exactly the same thing over and over to a, to a very specific, you know, uh, level of a level of, phys- of uh, physical technique. Yeah. And they're very much alike. That makes sense, actually. I can see where, where there would be a lot of similarities there. My team gets tired of hearing about the similarities. <laughs> That's where many of my stories come from about when I'm trying to blame things. And they, they really get tired of <laughs> So, Alan, do you have an assistant coach or a GA or anything? Uh, I do not. Um, uh, uh, being, a, being a smaller school, you know, we have several, several sports that don't, uh, that don't have all the coaches that they, that they could legally have with the NCAA. I do have a volunteer assistant. Kenzie Martin is still in town training, and uh, yeah. uh, and, she, and she helps me out when she can. Okay, okay. I didn't know that. I didn't know she was still in town. That's awesome. So, Alan, we are going to talk a little bit about your range and day in, a day in the life of your student-athletes. So my first question for you is, is your range on campus or off campus? Do the athletes, can they walk there from their dorms, or do they have to drive there? Oh yeah, it's it's on campus. It's about five hundred yards from uh, from the farthest dorm that my guys live in. Okay, nice. And actually, before I go any further, for those people listening who aren't familiar with where where Murray State is, can you give us a little bit of background on where it is, what town it's located in, what part of the state it's located in, and all that? Sure, we're uh, we're located in Murray, Kentucky. If you think about the state of Kentucky, where the where the boot heel comes down. We are right in that corner, that right angle corner of the boot hill. We're about two hours north of Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, okay. Do you guys typically fly out of Nashville whenever you guys fly to other matches? Uh, yes, we have. Um, uh, we've been able to fly out of the regional airport in Paducah a couple of times when I take small groups to uh, Junior Olympics and stuff. Okay. Nice. But Nashville uh, is the place that you can get uh, get. Dr- Direct flights. Okay. And uh, I, I like direct flights because uh, uh, if your if your gear doesn't have to change planes, you've got a much better chance of it arriving with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's always that can be an issue sometimes when traveling with a lot of stuff and a lot of people, I guess. So, which division, which NCAA division is Murray State in, and do you think? divisions matter in rifle recruiting uh we're division one um i don't know that it really matters that much um uh, we you know murray is a is what is considered a mid-major school we're not in a power five conference uh we're not in a group of five conference uh we are um uh, um uh, you know, we're, we're, I guess, mid-major, sort of, uh, sort of middle of the road, I guess you could say. We're, yeah. we're, a, sm- we're a smaller school, uh, about 
usually they say our enrollment is somewhere between eight and ten thousand students. Uh, okay. Murray campus. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I don't think the division that you're in is a real big deal. I mean, you can look at you know we've got you know Alaska Fairbanks is a D two school that has dominated the sport uh, 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 at different times and is uh, you know and it's lighting it up right now. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> have its uh, I think the most important thing that you have to do is you have to understand your situation and be able to tell your story when you're talking to people about your school yeah I like that I really like the the way you said that it makes sense so and, uh, go ahead no no I, I was just gonna say I, I think that's real important and I think that's one of the things that uh, uh, one of the reasons that I that I came back to Murray was I love the school and and the town to start with, and and I think it made it easier to, um, you know, to uh, uh, to sell the program to whoever you're trying to sell it to. Because I mean, you know, we're, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it may be recruits, it may be, uh, it may don't for, you know, for uh, for financial support. Where you're always telling the story of your of your team and your school. And I think that's the most important thing is just understanding how to tell that story. Right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, tell us a little bit about the conference that Murray is in and then competitions outside of your conference throughout the season. We're in the Ohio Valley conference. Um, uh, NCAA started sponsoring rifle as a sport in nineteen eighty. The first year that it was an NCAA sport, I believe there was there was over two hundred rifle things. Oh wow! Um, for various reasons that I'm not that, that you want to get into now, maybe we can do that another time if you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, the number of teams started started falling, and and it settled out for a while with probably you know. 50 to 75 teams around the country um, before it started getting smaller. And the OVC was always a, uh, a really good rifle conference back in the beginning. You know, and it still is, but, but, it, but, you know, there was a time when, you know, uh, you had Murray State and you had Tennessee Tech. Eastern Kentucky had a good, had a good, um, rifle team that I'm almost positive took the team to the NCAA championship before, uh, uh, before they dropped the sport. Austin P used to have a, uh, uh, used to have a rifle team. Moorhead's got a good rifle team. Uh, uh, UT Martin was a, uh, uh, you know, their, their coach was Bob Beard was, uh, Murray State's first rifle All-American. Oh, wow. And so, uh, OVC has always had a rich history of uh, of the sport for the sport of rifle, and, and, and we've always been really proud of our connection with the OVC. Yeah, yeah, I know uh, it's the OVC is always a tough one to compete in and compete against, especially at at NCAA's and you know, kind of preseason matches that um, kind of out of conference. So, how many teams do you guys compete against? How many matches do you have a year, and how many? How many of those are within your conference? We have, uh, uh, the NCAA allows us to have 13 dates of competition. That, that's, our, that's our maximum. Every sport has a maximum uh, number of either contests or dates. And, and, and for our particular sport, it's dates. And, uh, and so uh, we will compete in, in basically 15 matches a year, hopefully. And I say hopefully because there's two matches that are exempt from that count. Your conference championship is exempt, so that would be our 14th. And we hope we get 15 and qualify for the NCAA. Uh, uh, we, we uh, right now, uh, there are three schools left that shoot rifle in the OVC, us, Moorhead, and UT Martin. Uh, Jacksonville State was in the OVC, but they just uh, 
that left the OVC to go join another conference. Uh, there's a lot of restructuring going on around, and, and, and we lost a really, really good school out of the OVC and rifle because of that. Uh, so we have three we have three opponents that are within the conference that we that we shoot against every year at least once, and then uh, the other matches are, you know. Uh, we, we try to look for the best competition at the best ranges, you know, within the uh, within travel distance that we can afford. We're going to go. To, we're going to try to shoot every year at UK. Uh, you know, we go every year to Ole Miss. Uh, uh, we go to Jacksonville State, uh, Ohio State. Uh, every year or so, we try to get up. Uh, we try to get up to West Virginia. Okay. Yeah. So, so we, you know, we we get around pretty good. Uh, we drive to most of ours. We don't fly too many places, uh, and I, and that's just because, you know, for for us, we get to a lot of good ranges driving easily. Right. You guys are pretty centrally located within. I mean, there's a lot of schools on you know the east side of the United States, and you guys are centrally located. And I think that's awesome being able to drive places. It makes it real easy, and it and it and it allows our uh, our smaller budget to be stretched farther too. Right, right, yeah. I actually there was there's a lot of times where like I love flying, I love I love traveling, but there was definitely some times where I appreciated getting in our little sprinter van and driving up to UK or driving up to Murray and just not having to go through the hassle of going through TSA and making sure your rifles arrive and making sure all your gear is in the right place. So sometimes it's just nice and um, it's nice to be able to make sure it's all with you. Right. I, I, I agree completely. The flying is fun, you know, and, and, it, and it's, it's a little bit of a hassle. It's not, you know, dealing with your stuff's really not that bad. It's just, you want to know that it gets there. Right. Um, uh, and there's and there's so many other things that that happen that people don't that people don't think about. Uh, 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 I, I I can't remember. Were you on the Were you on the Ole Miss trip where uh, y'all were coming back? I think from West Point and and had a problem with with Tiet, with with the airline was double double charged you for your for your guns because they said the cases were too long on the way home in New York. I do not think that we had that issue or I don't think I was there for that, but we were coming back from, we actually competed in Palmyra. I think it was um, kind of at a high school range. And there was a lot of like riots going on at one of the airports. And this, I mean, this had to have been 2016, 2017. And we couldn't get to the airport and we, it was like a Sunday evening and that was kind of the biggest thing we had. We, we had to, we had to probably walk with our, our gear bags, our duffel bags, our backpacks and our gun cases, probably a quarter of a mile just to get into the airport. And then, you know, because of everything that was going on outside, they were like, I don't know about these guns. And we were like, listen, we just have class tomorrow. We're just trying to get home, you know? Um, but I don't, I don't think I was on the trip or maybe that was before or after I left Ole Miss, um, about the, the gun cases being too long, supposedly. It, it was, I can't remember exactly what Val told me it was, but they're, they're, they ran into something and it, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, it's just like any rules and regulations that are, that are open to interpretation, you know, you run into, uh, you know there are there are airports that everybody says are great to fly out of. Right. I don't know that anybody has ever had an issue in Nashville. In in, in fact, TSA in Nashville has has been very very helpful to me in the past. And uh, uh, but there are other airports that people will you know that tell you that they hate to hate to fly in and out of. Right. Yep. And and so uh, uh, I think that I think it's. You know, it's just is how you prepare for it. We were uh, uh, one of my first trips flying through uh, flying through New York when we were getting ready to come home. You know, we we walked in the door. We had all we had all the gun cases, and and the first thing I, I always did was go look for either 
a security guard or the closest TSA person. And there was a, one of the security guards was standing there and, and I told him, and I said, you know, we got, you know, we got six people with, with gun cases and bags and we need to, we, I just want to know what's the easiest way for, for us to handle this. And, uh, it was so funny because he, you know, he, he got this look like, okay, you know, this is going to take forever. And, right. and started telling me what he needed. And, you know, he says, I need this, uh, he said, you know, uh, I, I need a list of your guns and who and who who owns them and the serial numbers and the kinds that they are. We're going to have to open up all the cases, you know. And I, I reached in my, my notebook and handed him a piece of paper that had all the guns and and serial numbers on it. And I said, "Is this sort of like what you want?" <laughs> and he looked at me and smiled and he said, "Just come this way, sir." <laughs> he walked us right to the thing, handed the guy the list and. And ten minutes later, we were done. Yeah, and it's it, it's all about being prepared and trying right. to uh, and, and trying to give them what they want and, yeah. and what they do their job and, and being friendly because they th- those folks you know I, the security people at airports you know I, I, I try to I try to smile and and, and 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 make their day a little better because they catch it from all sides all day long. Oh, absolutely! I cannot imagine working security at an airport. I mean. I don't think I would be able to stop anyone as a security guard for anywhere, but security at an airport, I mean, there's there's people super early in the morning or super late at night that just need to get somewhere, and goodness, I cannot, I can't imagine. So going on to a few specific things about the team and about Murray, when freshmen arrive on campus, if they do not have a custom suit or gear, specific gear, can Murray or will Murray provide that for them? We try to get a, uh, any athlete that needs a suit, we try to be able to provide those. Okay. Uh, Sometimes you get a fresh, you get a freshman that just got a suit and they, you know, they want to shoot in it for a little longer. And that, that's always pretty good because, uh, I mean, if, uh, many times, body types and shapes change the first couple of years in college. Right. And so, uh, uh, if they haven't outgrown their suit yet, then you know I, I'm I'm not totally opposed to you know to them wearing it for a year. Uh, we uh, we do have equipment for them to use. Uh, we try to make sure you know that that uh, 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 you know because of the uh, because of cutting down on the amount of time in small ball, we try to make sure everybody's got three three butt plates that they can use, so that they can change them out. They don't have to worry about making so many adjustments. Uh, uh, but yes, uh, I think most of the most of the schools um, uh, do their best to to have equipment that that that, uh, that the shooters can use if they need it. Plus, you just gotta have it in case something breaks too. And you also have to have it if say somebody from another school forgets their gun and they need to borrow it, right? Exactly. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of that happening before. You know, I don't think so, but it could happen, right? <laughs> so walk us through, Coach Lawler, walk us through a little bit about a day in the life of a student athlete at Murray. Uh, well, we, we train in the morning before class. Okay. Uh, the, our first group this year, uh, uh, during preseason, everybody started at the same time. Door opened at five o'clock, and we started training together at five forty-five. Once we get to the 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 match part of the season, and started and started uh, uh, and our training sort of changed to uh, match preparation instead of a preseason camp type thing. We. Uh, uh, we started going into three groups uh, according on the when their uh, when their class schedule with us. So now we've got a group that starts at. We still got the early group that has to start at five thirty because they early classes, and then we've got uh, uh, I think a group that comes in at six forty five and maybe seven thirty. Okay. Uh, uh, but uh, we do that for for a couple of reasons. Number one is. 
most rifle matches are shot in the mornings. Yes. And I think that's consistent. I think we can, uh, it helps us replicate the feel and the routine of, of, uh, of getting up and the first thing you do is you go right into your, your routine for match day and, and you're able to, uh, uh, to practice that and work on it and, and, and tweak it to the ways that you need it. Uh, the other reason is academic because when we're done with training, um, when we're done with our, with our, with the shooting part of our training in the morning, they get to go be normal students now the rest of the day. Right. They can, they can do their study hall hours. They can, uh, they go to class. They can meet with teachers. They can meet, meet with study groups. And, and, and all of that stuff becomes much harder when, you know, for the, for the regular athletes, I say regular athletes, the athletes of the other sports right. that, that have a practice time that is from 2.30 to 5.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, the other thing I tell folks is that, you know, I, I don't have too much trouble with, with, with my, uh, with my app getting up and shooting in the morning. Right. I'm not sure so excited about getting up and studying in the morning. Yeah. I don't, I think I would rather practice early in the morning and then have to study in the afternoon. And, and so I, I think that has worked out well for us. We've, uh, we've had good, uh, uh, you know, we've had good grades. We got, you know, uh, you know, we've got a, a great, you know, graduation rate, you know, all those things, all those measures of academic success are there. And, uh, uh, that's, that's generally the way a day for our students. Okay. We'll, we'll work out, uh, uh, in the weight room with our strength coach two or three days a week. Uh, Normally that's in the afternoon. Whenever we can get most of them together, uh, and then if uh, if classes don't let some of them come, then we're able to uh, 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 pick them up with small groups or others. We'll, we'll we'll assign them a uh, a workout buddy to make sure that uh, that they hold each other accountable, and they'll and they'll go into the into the and uh, workout times with the strength coach when they can do that. Good. That's a fairly normal day. Okay. And when do you guys, when in the year do you start team practices? And then when is typically your team's first match of the year? Uh, we will normally, I usually give them at least the first week of school to get everything ironed out as far as thing academically that they need to do. Because they'll be, you know, they'll get to a class and, and some teacher will have changed the book and they'll, that'll, that'll, cause issues and I, I let them get all of that stuff settled out and uh this year we uh actually started team practice the tuesday after memorial day okay well, well if i get back which is the september that's that's labor day right labor day is in september yes be the, be the day after labor day Sorry. okay okay and then when is y'all's, typically y'all's first match? Uh, we try to make it no earlier than the second week of October. I like to have about six weeks of preseason training. Okay. This week we started, uh, we started a week earlier than that. Uh, uh, West Virginia, John called, and they were actually shooting, I believe, at Ole Miss on the second and wanted to catch us on the way home. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I never, I'll never pass up a chance to uh, uh, to shoot against a, a great team like them. Yeah. So uh, uh, we uh, we we started a, a week earlier than we than we had really planned to. Okay. So a little while ago, you were telling me you have three groups um, for practices. Right now, you have thirteen athletes on your team. Is that typically around the number? of athletes you like to have or normally have and then how many how many athletes are in each group whenever they come in uh, I, if i had my brothers i would be it would probably be somewhere between right around 10 athletes okay it's it's hard to it, it's it, it is a uh, i have to pay real close attention this year because i've got so many make sure that I get around to see everybody. Right. Uh, and that, uh, and, and I have to trust that if they need me, they'll find me. Uh, 
uh, look at this. Uh, it's it has uh, it, it is it is tough with thirteen. I mean, you've only got one coach. Yeah, I can imagine uh, that. The, uh, the the numbers in the groups once again that is uh, dependent on when their classes start. Okay. Uh, the way it's fairly the way it has worked out this year, I think we've got two in the first group. Uh, the middle group is probably the biggest. Uh, we'll have six or seven that come in with that group, and then the rest will come in at the end. Okay. Uh, and uh, and then they can come in in the afternoon. They can ask for voluntary training. They can come back in. And that's another reason that I like shooting in the morning is if something if something just doesn't go right and they've got time in the afternoon, they can come back in and work on it. Right, but, right, right. But if something doesn't go good in the afternoon – You've got to study at night and in the evening. It's hard to come back in and get anything done in that day, and then the next day you're into another another day of your training plan. So it's it's. Uh, I think this gives us a better chance of uh, uh, staying on top of things. Yeah. And, uh, and and I think they've used that to to a really good advantage. Yeah. Speaking of a training plan, do you make your athletes, or do you require them? I guess make sounds a little forceful do you require your athletes to turn in a training plan either at the beginning of the year or the beginning of each week uh not written okay uh, normally normally the way we do it is there will be days that and, and actually I've, I've changed a little bit this year uh this year we're doing something a little different uh, uh the beginning of almost every day is structured there's something that they're given that they have to do that um, that I get a chance to see them compete either against each other or against a standard or or against a time limit or something where uh, uh, we wanted to put more uh, more intentional competitiveness in it. Right. Trying to, trying to find a way to make it feel more like a match. Yeah. And, and as soon as they get done with that, then they get open training and they can they can work on whatever else they want to. Okay, okay. When when we have open training, I like for them to to tell me what they're working on, how they how they plan to uh, how they plan to uh, uh, to do that, and then in the end, telling me how it worked out. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, I think if. I think if they come up with a training plan, and it's, and, and, and I'm sure you understand, you either, if not you, you had teammates that had a hard time explaining what they were seeing and feeling in shooting. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely did for a, pretty, for a pretty long period of time. Just had a, when I first got to college, just trying to explain to my coaches, this is what I'm feeling without sounding, you know, I wanted to sound professional and, like a college student and sometimes that's difficult when you're trying to explain kneeling or yeah, mostly kneeling in my case, I guess. <laughs> and, and, and that's, and that's a re the reason I do that is because when they can articulate what they're seeing and feeling, then as a coach, you've got a chance to help them. Right. If, if not, if, if they, if you can't, if you, if you can't, if you can't see and feel what they're seeing and feeling, all you're looking at is where God is on the monitor. Right. And, and, and that could be there for, you know, for any number of, of different reasons. And unless you know what's going on with them, you're just guessing. Right. And if you guess wrong, then it's, it's not, you know, I, I, I won't say they lose confidence in you, but it's better to be right. Right, absolutely. They might not, they might not come out and say they they don't trust you or they don't believe you, but they might stop asking questions. and And I always tell it's a little bit different, but I always tell my students like, please ask me questions, ask me all the questions, because in my opinion, it means that they trust me and they trust that they can come to me for things. And I I never get mad when my high school students ask me questions. So. Well, I mean, it's also a lot like in the training room. If they can't, there's some athletes that can explain to you exactly what it feels like and 
and, and, and what it happens and when it hurts and how right. it hurts. And they give you information that you can use to help them get well and get stronger. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to have some that say, it just hurts. Right. And, and it's, it's really hard to help that person because you don't have enough information. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. You know, my, my goal is that if I do my job right, I basically put myself out of a job. Yeah. If I, if I do it right, they learn how to be their best coach on the line in real time. Absolutely. And that's that's what my goal is that is that they can do that in a match and don't have to look around for me because we've talked about it enough in training. We've set up plans and we've got techniques to handle things, and that allows them to go on and compete and shoot their match because they're more confident because they've been through all of this because we've had these discussions. Right. And uh, it's it's really fun when they start to understand that. There is definitely a fun aspect to learning because I guess whenever you hit that that peak, you're like, oh, I can do this on my own. So if I go to Winter Air Gun or Junior Olympics and my can't coach, if my coach can't go with me for whatever reason, like it's okay, I can do this on my own. You know, there's there's people around that could help me if something malfunctions or something goes wrong, but just knowing that you can do it on your own is so satisfying, and it is such a fun feeling, in my opinion. Well, that, that's where confidence comes from. Right, I mean, absolutely. You, you know, your confidence in anything is comes from feeling that you have prepared for any situation and that you'll be able to handle that situation. Right. And that's what doing training. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's really, you know, we... One of the things I tell my guys is that we have to get past the idea that they can't shoot tens. Right. If, 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 if you're at Murray State, you can shoot enough tens to be very successful. The, the question is why you don't shoot more. Right. So we, we talk a lot about becoming a better, not becoming a better shooter. We talk about shooting better. Because they have the technique, they have the skill. You know, most juniors have the skill. Yes. You shoot. If half of your shots are tens, then there's no reason that they all can't be tens. Absolutely. You have the skill to do it. You got the eye hand coordination and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, the the shooter needs to understand that there's more to it than than just the the physical. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I have, uh, uh, I've had people ask me, you know, do you, you know, do, do you have a sports psychologist that works with your team? And the answer is if I want one, yes, I've got a very good one on campus that, that does some stuff with us, but we try to, we try to build and make all of our, all of our training is basically a mental training drill or a chance to build confidence or a chance to to work on the, the techniques you need when things happen during matches that that you have to recover from. Right. This year, that's one of the things that, that we've really tried to do is present them with those, uh, with those opportunities to practice the techniques that we talk about. Because you have to train that stuff just like you have to train your shot technique. Right. And if you don't do that in training, then it won't be there in a match because you won't know what to do. You won't move to that. You know, that won't be your go-to thing. Yeah, Um, it is so important to have kind of that backup plan and just knowing, hey, if this happens, like, I know how to handle it mentally. I know how to handle it emotionally. And it's not necessarily about, yeah, I can handle this physically, like, the physical part of shooting, yeah, it can be tough. Some of the positions are tough to figure out and navigate, but everything else is so much more difficult, in my opinion, if you don't have a plan. We had a, uh, I had a shooter here uh, not long ago, uh, and and the way we talked about it uh, when 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 he, when he and I talked about it was it, it, it was.
was his toolbox that he took to the range with. Yes. And, and when, you know, when, when he had this issue, he knew which tool to go get. And if it was something different, he knew what tool would fix that problem. Uh, not, you know, not a wrench or anything, but, you know, the, the technique on how to, you know, how to check, how to adjust your position. Absolutely. Or, or, or it might be. And, um, and he always felt very confident as long as he thought he had all the tools he needed. Yeah, I really like that. You actually answered a question. I, I was going to ask you if Murray had a sports psychologist provided for for not only the rifle athletes, but the rest of the athletes at at the school. Uh, so you do have one that you work with? We have, we have a... Uh, 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 we have a... Uh, uh, other teachers in the psychology department that um, uh, he is a he's written I think three books now he's been on uh, the Today Show he's been on uh, Good Morning America he's actually been on an ESPN commercial oh wow uh, and uh, he uh, 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 and he comes and, and helps the teams when he's asked. We we don't have somebody you know we don't have we don't have a sports psychologist on on uh, uh, on staff or anything like that. Okay. Once again, we're a small school, uh, and and we don't have uh, the the budget that a lot of people uh, that a lot of people have. <laughs> right. What we uh, uh, it's it's funny though the the guy that works with us. Uh, We've known each other since probably about the time I got to town because his son and I, his son and my son, played baseball together growing up. I, I, I really appreciate him. But one of the things that I learned from him that, that was most important was that a lot of it has to do with I have to make sure that I'm doing the right things in, in my relationship with the shooters and with how we train and the and how we compete and the environment that 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 we try to build on the range because uh, uh, the simplest way I can explain it is if I do it right I have an environment that is free of the fear of failure. Right. Okay. I like that. And that they can just they they can they can come in and 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 they can for lack of a better term they can go for it and give their best effort and know that that's what we're looking for is their best effort. Yeah. And they're, you're always competing against the best you have. You know, we're a, uh, we can't control how the other team shoots. Yeah, we, you know, there's no defense in rifle. Uh, you know, if, if you tried to play defense, it would be a very messy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, but I tell my guys that, you know, on the other hand, they can't control us either, right? And so, in one hand, in one hand, you can say that it's not that it's out of your control, but in the other one, you can say it's very much in your control, right? And so, um, the important thing is for is is the environment that I build for them and the way they feel about coming in and shooting and training and getting better, right? And it's and it's not as much. I don't think it's as much about, you know, somebody coming in and necessarily, you know, having, you know, lecturing to people about something. It because anything that you know, you could have the the smartest sports psychologist in the world at Murray State. He could come in and meet with my guys and say exactly the right things, and I could tear all of that down in the first fifteen minutes of the next training session. Right. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean. I, it is so important and yeah, you, your attitude has to be, you have to have a good attitude around the athletes, but not only good attitude, but you have to, you just have to hold yourself upright and because kids can read, they can feed off of you, they can read your energy. So if, if the kids come in in the morning and I say kids, I mean the athletes, they are college kids. The the athletes come in in the morning and you're just kind of slouching over and you're looking tired and just like you don't want to be there, then they're going to feed off of your energy and then that's how their training is going to go. So it's it's so important for you as a coach and all of the coaches out there to 
to learn from that. I mean, anyone can come in and talk to their athletes, but if you don't hold that, hold yourself accountable and hold your athletes accountable, it's not going to mean anything. Absolutely. And, you know, and once again, it, it goes, you know, I, I can relate this back to the training room. You know, the, uh, uh, I, I don't remember which, which coach is quoted as saying, and maybe John would, but, uh, but basically, you know, you know, your, your players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. Yep. And, and when they know that you're on their side, that's when you get a chance to do some really, really special things. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that quote, actually. So kind of switching gears a little bit, and I want to mention one of your athletes, and it'll kind of lead me into the question that I'm going to ask. So Dana, Dana Bissler, um, I actually had the pleasure of shooting with her sister, Abby, at Ole Miss for two years Dana and Abby got an opportunity to get an extra year because of COVID. And I know a lot of athletes did and some athletes didn't take it. And that's, you know, that's completely fine. So Dana and Abby did. How has that impacted the team? How did it impact you? Did it impact recruiting at all? Kind of, can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, for us, it really didn't impact recruiting. Okay. Uh, it was because uh, our recruiting was done for the year. Uh, the, uh, uh, the the place where that affected most people was our most teams was the fact that the NCAA gave you a year back, so they gave so they gave those athletes an extra year. But uh, we did we did not get a we did not get any extra scholarship. Okay. And so the 3.6 scholarships that we have still had to be divided up with the people coming back. Okay. And so that that's where it got. That's why you see some teams that brought back one. Some some may have brought back everybody. Uh, it was just a, a lot of that was dependent on how much scholarship cap they had left over. Okay. Okay. The uh, bringing Dana back was the easiest decision that that I probably made at Murray State. Uh, I mean, it was when, when she came in and said something about it, it was, we, we had talked about it earlier and she was going to go ahead and graduate and go get a job because she's got something sort of lined up. Yes. But, uh, she came back and said something about, you know, that she was thinking about it and I basically told her, well, quit thinking about it. Just come on. <laughs> and we found, uh, we found some, we found some, uh, uh, uh some postgraduate work that she can do. That's going to help her in her field, and yeah. uh, and and we're we're really excited for uh, for her to come back. Uh, it is, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. It's uh, I had a football coach one time, and we were talking about uh, about the offensive line, and because he tried to, you know, rifle doesn't redshirt too many people. Right. That that, that doesn't hardly ever happen. Mostly because you're not a full scholarship, and if you and to add an extra year normally adds more loans and stuff, and we don't like to do that to people. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, but talking about a, a sport that did have full scholarships, and and he always said that the reason that that he almost as a rule would would redshirt every offensive lineman that came in. It was because it, it, there was almost it was almost guaranteed, and and the and the difference was such between a freshman and a fifth year offensive lineman. Yeah. That that it, it was it was a no brainer unless unless this kid came in and was a difference maker right now on the line, he's going to be much better as a fifth year senior. Right. That that he that he could. Than the you know than the contribution he can make as a you know as basically a green freshman. So uh, uh, bringing Dana back was just you know uh, was a no brainer for me because she she knows what we're looking for. You know she's a great leader uh, and uh, uh, just just really happy to have her for next year. Yeah, I actually 
had the opportunity to see and talk to Dana recently. We both were in Oxford for the Ole Miss versus LSU game. She was visiting her sister, and um, I was visiting. Well, actually, Allie Wise and I, Allie drove from Georgia, and I drove from Texas for the weekend, and so we met up there and went to the game, and Dana just could not say enough good things about you as a coach and about Murray as a school and you know she's like it's a small school but it is so close-knit and the community is awesome and and she was so thrilled to be back for an extra year so I have been waiting to tell you that and she like I said she just couldn't say enough good things about it so you're obviously doing something not just right but incredible there so um Great job. Great job on your part. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, go ahead. Go ahead. So, I was just going to ask um, a few general topics about junior athletes. Um, a big one is when junior athletes should start reaching out to coaches. When, in your opinion, should they start reaching out? And then, would you like to see more resumes like shooting resumes from those junior athletes whenever they do reach out to you uh in, in general i think uh uh the the ncaa how to say this the ncaa changed the rules a couple of years ago right and and now uh we can we can start communicating with 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 prospective student athletes in June after their tenth grade year. Okay, so after their sophomore year. After their sophomore year, so that is that is when we can start communicating with them uh, on a, on you know in emails and things like that. Uh, they can contact us at any time. One of the things that is tough for coaches is making sure that we don't answer too soon. Right. And, and so uh, uh, one of the things that, I, that, I've, that I've started telling them is in the, uh, in the subject line, please put the year that you graduate from high school. That is very good advice, actually. And it makes it real easy to make sure that we don't make a mistake. And... Uh, 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 and the more information that they can give, I think the better it is. Because we're not a sport where you can watch film and stuff on people. And so uh, anything that we can get that helps us know the person is, is, is a nice thing. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice to keep, to keep in mind. So junior shooters, if you or your parents are listening, please put your, your grade in the subject line. I mean, one, please make sure you put a subject line. Um, I know some people... Some people think subject lines are not important, and I, I work in a high school, so that's what I'm trying to teach my kids. Please be professional when you're emailing coaches, but that is good advice. And coaches just they can't break rules. They, there's so many coaches out there that just want to know every single rule, and they want to make sure they're following it to a T. So keeping giving the coach as much information as possible about yourself and when you're graduating and. You know, all that all that good stuff is really important. Coach, do you have any, if you were to give the junior shooters one piece of advice, whether it be life advice, rifle advice, recruiting advice, whatever it may be, what would you say to them? That's a hard question. <laughs> uh, I, I, I tell anybody, I mean, you know, I tell my... It's no different than I tell my kids, or I told I tell I told the athletic training students when uh, when I was teaching them. You have to do what you love to do. But, you know, whatever you're doing, do it for yourself, and do it because you love to do it. Because if that's the case, you'll do a good job at it. Yeah, I really like that actually, and I think it 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 helps me out a little bit, you know. So thank you for the for the free advice tonight. <laughs> Coach, I will give. Go ahead. I'm really proud. Thank you. Hey, so at the very beginning of this, you mentioned the Withrow Invitational, 
Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that invitational, what it entails, when it is? Are you going to continue having it? Uh, yeah, we're going we're going to keep having it. It's it's actually changed some. We we have uh, we'll have some open matches that everybody can come to, but we've we've rolled the uh, the withrow uh, back into a uh, an invitational instead of an open, and uh, it is now just for college uh, for college teams. Okay. Uh, the the NCAA has has rules on. Uh, like I say, that there, there's a lot of rules that, that, that concern when you can talk to people and, and how you have to treat them when they're on campus and, and how you have to, to manage and, uh, and run uh, open events. And so it, for, for us, it became much simpler to, um, to um, uh, have open events so that we know how we're treating everybody and we can, and we can handle those a certain way. And then just to uh, uh, to uh, push the the withdrawal back to the way it originally was uh, uh, years ago is is basically a, uh, a a college match that uh, that we want to keep making uh, better and better uh, uh, better and better competition. Right. The, uh, 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 there was a time when I first got into this with Coach Green. Uh, Withrow was a, was a was an amazing match. Back then, we used to have a sixteen point air gun range and and the sixteen point range that you shot on. Right. Okay. So the, the when I was introduced to the to to Withrow, it was it was a a small bore air small bore air on Friday, two relays on Friday, one in the afternoon, one at night. We had night relays back then. We had a relay that started, small ball relay that started at six o'clock. Oh, geez, what's going uh, into my bedtime? Then on Saturday, we had three relays: morning, afternoon, night. Sunday, we had at least a morning and an afternoon, and at times had a night. Wow. There, there was one year that we ran. I think almost, almost. I want to say it was right at 275 different shooters through that weekend. Holy cow. I mean, it was, and, and that was back in the days when the team, you know, the team shot first. They would, a lot of times they would shoot on Friday morning. And yeah. the rest of the weekend, they were scoring targets. Jeez, Louise. It, it was, and, and so, but, but, you know, you know, back, back in the day, you know, that was Tennessee Tech showed up, West Virginia showed up. Alaska, I think, has came down for that match before. Uh, all of the OVC teams, Jacksonville State was there, you know, and and it, it was it was a really really tough match. Yeah, get get that back again. We're really looking forward to it this year. Awesome. Kentucky will be in. NC State's coming down. Jacksonville, uh, uh, Memphis, and UAB. Georgia Southern, UAB in North Georgia. Uh, I know I'm forgetting somebody. I really shouldn't have started naming them. <laughs> but uh, but it, it's going to be a good one this year, and uh, we're we're working on getting on, on uh, uh, we're getting close on some on some uh, uh, to be to be able to announce some of the. Some of the th- other things we're doing to make the tournament a little better. We're we're trying to, we're trying to spice it up and make it worth coming to. Yeah. Well, hopefully, whenever you do figure that out, we can have you on the podcast again, and you can tell us about it and promote it a little bit for future years. And we can we can be at. Go ahead. I will let you know. Awesome, Coach Lawler. It was so nice catching up with you. We have had fun, and I appreciate you coming on with us. Thank you so much. You are very welcome. It, it, uh, uh, anytime I get the chance to uh, to try to support the sport, because I, I love the sport. It's I think that the people that are involved with it are some of the best people I've ever ran into. Uh, like I say, I, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you know, for all of those coaches back in the day that made me feel welcome, the, you know, 
know, and, and that, I didn't know nothing about the sport back then. And uh, uh, they taught me, and they and they made it fun, and it was it's it's like a family, and yeah. it still is. And that's one of the things I enjoy about it. So anything that I can give back to help, you know, I, I look forward to doing that. And uh, uh, I just, you know, uh, meeting meeting people like you, uh, I, I always enjoy. You know, OMS was always one of my one of my favorite teams to have in town. You, you, you know that. And yeah. I, I used to hang out with y'all at matches at, at Fort Benning and stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. But, it, uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. We, I, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Anything we can do for you, you let us know. All right. Thanks, Coach Lawler. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Aiming for Tens. We will be back next week with another weekly episode about this weekend's matches. See you guys next time.